Einstein and Sock Monkey Episode 17 Simple Diagrams Recorded September 13, 2011 <laughs> There's a whole sock monkey culture connected to all this. I believe that Einstein was a lazy procrastinator like me. Yeah, but can you guys tell me what this has to do with um, web design? Welcome to Einstein and Sock Monkey, the podcast for web geeks and website owners. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ron Zazadinsky, and... I'm Steve Martin. And we have a guest today who I will let introduce himself. Hi, I'm Daniel McQuillan, and I'm new here to Fort Collins. Awesome. We're so glad to have you uh, here today, Daniel. So Daniel is the... uh, We're going to interview him later on, but just to give you the quick background here, he uh, uh, developed a web app called... Actually, it's a desktop app, an air app, Mm -hmm. uh, called Simple Diagrams, and... um, what else do you do? You can give us kind of the brief lowdown. I'm mostly a Flex and Air developer, and most of my work is centered around uh, e-learning applications for architects and engineers. So what I do is essentially work with um, government organizations to build applications to uh, help architects and engineers visualize information about uh, buildings and learn about uh, energy efficiency. Very cool. Yeah. And, uh, Sounds official, but... Uh, <laughs> it does sound actually very impressive. <laughs> um, very cool. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and simple diagrams a lot, uh, a little bit, just a little bit here. Just a little bit and a little bit. And just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'll try not to be, to be mean to you. It's okay. <laughs> you can be mean. <laughs> we're just having fun here. Uh, so... Any rambling? Oh, um, I, are I'm we sure we could ramble about it? something. I was going to ramble about something I, I thought about earlier today. This is a little sad that we have to prompt for rambling. <laughs> no, I, well, it, maybe we need to like record the podcast earlier in the day when I'm not like tired. Mm. You know, I I'm probably should have some coffee, but it's hot. Did I? It's not really that hot. No, I complained about it You're being hot last today. time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there, but. No, I, I really don't have any ramblings, to be honest with you. Well, then let's just get on with Ooh, the news. Oh, yeah. Oh. Next week I get to go to Orlando. Ooh. Yeah. What are you doing in Orlando? It has a big conference for our company, big security conference so thing. So will this be fun or not so No, fun? I actually get to do usability testing and stuff like that. So That sounds oh. pretty good. I've never done that in Orlando before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll find out. Do you out have a goal like, to do this in all 50 states? Or, uh... <laughs> well, I do now. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, it's, it's nice that my company cares enough to actually send me all the way to stinking Orlando. Not that it's a stinking place, but all the way to Orlando to do that. You know, so That is cool. Mm-hmm. It's a good deal. The envy of many other UX I, yeah, I do. Everywhere. I do say. I gotta say, I have it pretty good, so I'm not gonna complain. That's cool. Well, my rambling is my big excitement is uh, I leave on Friday for my honeymoon to Italy. We'll be there for three weeks. So no, three weeks, three weeks, twenty two days of. You gonna get, are you gonna get bored of Italy? Or? Oh no, goodness no! <laughs> <laughs> have you been there before? I've been once before, seven years ago. I was actually there for three weeks also, and uh, cool. It's perfect length of time. At least it was. 
Yeah, I'm sure it's it a good time yeah. of year too. It's not so hot, you know. Exactly, not so hot. The tourist season is winding down. It's still tourist season, but not not so bad. And so unplugged, right? Unplugged. No iPhone. No. Uh, we will have iPhone because we need all of the connections to read our eBooks and navigate with our TomTom yes. GPS app and all that. But there will be no work email. Okay, so unplugged this, from work. This is the strict rule. Yes, which uh, is self-imposed. Uh, Kathy is very happy that I have this rule, <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, but the technology is awesome because you know with Skype, I've got I've got a Skype number right, so I can actually call my family and stay in touch. Oh, and, that's a good point, and all yeah. of that, and uh, they can call me and leave a message, and you know, so I'm actually reachable without having to answer my work number. Mm. So that's like totally key. Nice. So what do you? do with do you have to get like an international plan do you have data for that or are you just going to count on wi-fi oh we'll count on wi-fi 99 percent of the time uh i did get an international data plan i forget how many like you could buy in like 50 meg chunks ahead of time so i did that um a friend who has an iphone and travels a lot to european countries suggested that that way if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and you've got to you know just check something you know it doesn't cost a thousand. It doesn't cost a thousand dollars exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But we should uh, all the places we're staying, all the apartments, hotels have Wi-Fi, so That's we, cool. we should be good most of the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, nice. and we got the TomTom app uh, for GPS, which is key because it doesn't require any data access. Uh, the whole, all the maps download, all the points of interest download onto to the that. iPhone, and so you could be un, you know unconnected. You mentioned that before, but I totally need that. Because, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So. And so Yoda, the voice of Yoda, will be navigating us around Italy. That should be Are you very serious? Fun. Yeah, you can buy uh, celebrity voices. <laughs> Yoda? And, and is it an Italian accent or is it just the um, usual? Yoda? No, the Yoda one is Yoda. Yoda with an Italian <laughs> but, accent. But there are other voices that are not um, you know, celebrities that have different countries' accents. Yep. <laughs> so does he like mix the verbs and stuff? He does, yes. <laughs> no <laughs> way. He will make. <laughs> exactly. So that should be fun to report well, I, back. I, it's all new reasons to buy the TomTom app, I guess. Exactly. That's and, awesome. you know, compared if you already have an iPhone or any device that can run the app, uh, given that a, a TomTom hardware device is, you know, I don't know, 150 bucks an app, the uh, software app is like, I think for the U.S. it's $50, and it does everything that the hardware app does. Mm. So really? way cheaper and one price, and then it updates when you need map updates and all of that. Anyway, cool. Wonderful stuff. Okay, on with the news. So my first news item, I rearranged the money, Steve. That's fine. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, is, this is kind of cool. We've been talking about NFC technology uh, coming out, uh, near-field communications, yeah. and you know, so you can use your your phone once they have NFC enabled phones, which there are a few out now, um, to interact with these NFC tags. Uh, so it works like RFID for those of you that aren't familiar with it. It's very similar technology to RFID. So the idea is that it kind of replaces QR codes, um, for quickly importing information into a phone. So instead of having to type in some long URL, you know, currently you could scan a QR code and be taken right. to a URL. So NFC tags are a wireless way, non-camera way to do the same thing. Um, so it's like RFID. So that, and it's two-way. And it's, it's potentially two-way. So right. if, you're, if you're talking with another device that has the two-way capability, then there's two-way exchange of information possible. And if it's, uh, and it can be one-way too. So right. NFC stickers will be the primary way that would be replacement for QR codes. So you'd have an NFC sticker on your office window or something, and when someone taps it or waves their phone NFC enabled phone near it, it will the power from the your phone actually energizes the you know NFC sticker, and then it will transmit data to you, and 
do something. That's kind of like witchcraft. Isn't it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about the hardware side of this, that there are several phones that just came out this summer now that have the NFC technology, both BlackBerry and Android. Um, but the missing piece has been, if you're a business owner, how do you start to take advantage of this? And there is now a company out there called TagStand that is selling NFC stickers. And they're very reasonably priced to get started. I mean, for like a starter kit of like 10 stickers, it's like 12 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the prices go down, of course, as you buy more. So you can use these to attach semantic data to physical objects. Exactly. Yeah. But the really cool thing about what they their program, and they, they have some software that comes with this, so you can actually reprogram what individual tags do, So which you couldn't do with a QR code, really. So in other words, you've got your... QR your NFC sticker on your office, and maybe today you want it to, you know, people tap it and it sends them to your webpage. But if you say then get into Foursquare and have specials, you can actually change what that sticker does. So the next time they wave it, it actually checks them in on Foursquare at your location. Cool. So it's very flexible on the programming side. And so what is this? What are these tags? Say I'm a coffee shop and I want to buy the tags, what do I do with them? Um, well, there's all kinds of things you can do with them. So I just kind of gave two examples there, right? right. You could have people check in on Foursquare with it and then you know, put some placard next to it so people know what's going to happen. Or you could have it take you to their Yelp page or their website or something like that for more information. Um, you can You can actually... Uh, they've got videos at tagstand.com oh, okay. of some examples. And the other one that was pretty cool is contact information. So you could put on the back of your business card an NFC sticker, and when someone taps your business card with their phone, it just transfers whatever information you've programmed into the NFC sticker. How big are these things? How Smaller than it? a business card, about half the size of a business are card. Are they thick? No, they're pretty thin. Yeah. I mean, you can't tell from the video. It's a little hard to okay. tell, but it's not, it's not visible like it's raised I mean, or something. I'm thinking, is it theoretically something that you could put on every single one of your business cards, or is it like cost prohibitive or thickness? Well, again, they start out about a dollar a piece, okay. so you know, it just depends how far you want to go. But I'm sure those. I mean, this is the first company I'm aware of that's selling these things, and if they're only starting at a dollar a piece, that'll come oh, down yeah. fast. Yeah. yeah, within a year, these things will probably be ten cents a piece, right? Huh. Um, so for small batches, definitely cost effective. But of course, the cool thing with an NFC business card is you don't have to give the card away. People just tap your card. You keep. Can I have it back? (laughs) I had some really expensive business cards made a while back. They're like circular and everything. I don't know if you remember these. Yeah, I do. And they cost like seventy cents a piece, Uh roughly. And I'm like, do you really want one? (laughs) But they were cool. You're metering them out. (laughs) Anyway, that's really cool. Yeah. So now we have kind of the complete. Solution, and they even have one package that includes a bunch of NFC stickers and a Nexus S phone, which is NFC capable. So you, <laughs> that's not inexpensive. I think it's a five hundred dollar package. But, yeah, uh, yikes! Uh, but that's one of the phones that can do it. So if you don't have a phone, they'll even sell you the phone, so you can play with these things and test them out. Cool. So very exciting. Got the closed loop pole solution is out there now. Well, I wanted to point out a uh, this kind of news item. Um, the boss. I kind of stole this from John Gruber. If you don't, if you forgive me, uh, of course we forgive you. <laughs> I mean, of course we don't forgive you. Um, he pointed. He linked to the Boston to BostonGlobe.com, and he he said it's an amazing redesign of the website. He said resize the browser and see what happens. And if you go there, and it it, it starts out when it's big. And, you know, with the three column, you know, kind of like a newspaper looking on the layout. But as you resize it, it actually 
really does an astounding job of being good, responsive web design. It pops down into two columns, loses some of the nav, and repurposes it. And if you keep going smaller and smaller, it ends up being like a really um, excellent, like mobile version of the of the of the site. Cool. We're playing with it on the screen right now. And- yeah, and you can even get narrower than that, and uh, and it pops down oh, just a single column. Very cool. It's really nice, and I, I just thought. You know, you, Ron, you've talked a lot about responsive web design and, and exactly. written an article on it and everything. And it, this is a, just a really super good example of that that I wanted to point people toward because you know it's it's one thing to talk about it, but to see to see how the, it can actually be implemented in in this way is is really ex, it kind of cool. I thought so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is fun just playing around. I'll play around with this some more. This is uh, very nifty. I know. I sat there and resized the window back and forth like 20 yeah. times. <laughs> so it seems like for a UX person, uh, one of the challenges with this must be the amount of things that can change, the permutations of oh, font yeah. size, image size, uh, control. It seems they're changing the navigation control mm-hmm. depending on the... Yeah, and at what point do you what what do you lose? Mm-hmm. You know, and you ha- there is definitely a hierarchy of importance that you've got to decide upon, and it, it, is it was it Luke or Booth Rubluski talking about designing for mobile first? Yeah, mobile first, exactly. Yeah, and, and so if you if you shrink this window down to the narrowest it'll go, you really see what they think is the most important things on this entire website. It's the sections and my saved items, basically, mm-hmm. and then the top the top items for the of the news for the day, and so. It, it takes a lot of thought. You're right, Daniel. It takes a lot of thought to figure out what is the most important, and then the next iteration of the when this thing gets bigger, what's next important, and so on. So, and uh, it's challenging, you know, from a design perspective. I think for designers to get their head around, and even more so to sell this to a client, because you know everybody's experience, ninety nine percent of everybody's experience is he's basically fixed with. Websites, right? And people still think a lot of clients of ours in the web design company still think of um, the website as a fixed thing, like a print medium, right? Even right. though the web has been around for as long as it has, this flexible concept, I think, is it's very challenging to get across to people. It makes sense once you demonstrate it, um, but um, so there's a lot more involved besides just the UX part of it, right? There's the selling the client on this concept, and then as a designer, if a designer is trying to transition into this, I think that's a it's a challenge yet again, you know, of of how then you there's decisions as to okay, what devices essentially are we targeting, so that you have to pick the resolutions or the widths at which you change the content into different styles, and then you have to figure out okay, what kind of content are we going to show in each of these? How are we going to organize the content in each of these different layouts? Right, a lot more upfront thinking and planning. So, how would you test this? I mean, do you sub to subdivide your users into mobile users, desktop users, both platform users? And because it would seem yes. that if you're used to mobile UI conventions, then you're probably only going to want to show the mobile portion of this to those kind of people. Yet. You know, desktop people will probably want to see the desktop, and then in between, will probably want to see: Does this work for me in both? You know, yeah, situations. That's a good question. Have you done any UX testing on a responsive web design yet? Steve? I've not. I'm I'm trying to get the guys at work to do some responsive web design with some of our web apps that we're working on. So I might, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, as you're talking about that, probably what I do is have, you know, say, you know, here's the website. 
how would you look at it? And here's your five devices plus a computer <laughs> or whatever, and see what see how they interact with it. I mean, you know, I just pulled it pulled it up on my iPad, and vertically it's the two column layout, and then right. horizontally it pops over to the three column layout, right? Which is really cool. And then, but it, on my iPhone it's the one column layout, so mm-hmm. it's nice that I, I like that if, that it's responsive in the way. Well, it's familiar, so every way I look at it, I'm gonna it's it's gonna look roughly the same, even if it's like two column versus one column or whatever. So it's, that's nice, but you know I don't know about testing. I have to, I have to think about that. Hmm. Cool. But, we can have a another segment somewhere down the road on uh, usability testing of responsive yeah, designs. Yeah, that would be, be cool. you know that might be interesting to get Jeremy Keith back on sometime if he would chat with us again. Uh, if we didn't scare him away the first time we interviewed him, because <laughs> he's you know uh, he's doing so much with responsive web design these days. His is blog he? is just amazing how much he's doing, and yeah, he's really pushing boundaries and trying different techniques and reporting back on you know his approaches and what's working, what's not. It's it's really impressive. I mean, he's very active, um, so it might be fun to talk with him about um, that usability testing for responsive designs and and. I don't know that he's done any, but maybe he'd have ideas about approaches to try. And I'm not sure that a, a user really cares about it being responsive as long as it works for them when sure, they get there. They don't, but exactly. Right. But if you have, you know, like the Boston Globe example, is at least four different layouts that I can see here. You know, essentially four discrete yeah. right formats, and so what if three of the four are really usable and one of them isn't? I mean, would you pick that up in usability testing? And then what do you, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot well, to and that. Well, people are going to resize things. Like like on my iPad, I turn landscape right. and suddenly things move. Is that going to cause me a problem? Mm-hmm. And again, if you're testing me. against the wrong person, if somebody who's not used to mobile conventions is trying out your mobile app and doesn't realize the way, quote unquote, to use it, then they might give you negative results when... Nine out of ten users who do use mobile a lot would say, "Oh, this is great! Mm-hmm. Look at these gestures. Look what I can do." Right, yeah. and that's a challenge of mobile in itself, mm-hmm. right? True. Is that mm-hmm. it's always an ideal to design any interface so that it's self-evident, but in mobile, that's not really true. You know, pieces of it are self-evident, but the fact that you can like swipe sideways to take contextual action um, has to be learned from experience. Someone has to show you, basically. If you're, you know, my mom's not going to figure that out on her own unless it's by accident, unless I show her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had. Good. That's awesome. That's a beautiful example. I look around, look forward to playing around with that some more. Um, so our next and final news item uh, for today is uh, Microsoft Windows 8. They had a big uh, conference. In fact, I should have, let's see, which conference was it here? It was the Build 2011 conference. Uh, and Microsoft is there and gave a big release of uh, uh, talk about Microsoft Windows 8. So this is kind of a big deal because, at least in the press, the um, kind of what, what this is heading toward is Microsoft's attempt to compete with Apple um, you know, in the iOS world to start making inroads against iOS. So the idea here is that Windows 8 would be a single OS that runs on both mobile and desktop machines. So every version of Windows 8 will include both views, if you will, and both views will be native, not one cobbled on top of the other. Hmm. Um, and apparently um, you can actually switch between the views on any device, so you're not limited. You know, it probably makes the most sense to do the mobile-ish view on a mobile device and the desktop view when you're working, but they do have the ability that you can 
go to a mobile-ish type of interface on a desktop computer. Mobile-ish? Mobile-ish, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, mobile interface. Uh, so some features here, some highlights from it. Um, multi-touch support is enabled for IE10. Um, that makes sense. I mean, Apple pioneered the multi-touch stuff. Uh, SkyDrive storage support is integrated into all cloud-based apps, so there's definitely more integration with cloud in general. Um, what else? This is interesting. Both Metro Style, that's their mobile version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Metro Style and conventional Win32 apps will be sold in the Windows Store. So I'm really curious to see how successful that is. I mean, they're clearly the Windows store? mimicking yeah, the Windows Store. i never heard of yeah. that. So they're mimicking the Apple Store. And so that's an interesting question. I mean, is the Apple Store ubiquitous enough that people will get get it or... Are they going to market the heck out of that so that they're trying to convert Windows people into, you know, Windows Store purchasers? I don't know. Well, I wouldn't. I don't think it have the the Mac App Store would have to be that well known. I mean, it wasn't known before Apple opened it up. Really, mm-hmm. I it's a completely different set of users, though. It is. That's, well, that's why I'm curious to see how it works because Apple. You know, Apple's come from a totally different direction. And yeah. I mean, their brilliance was they, they made iTunes before they even made iPods, right? I mean, iTunes came first, so you could play your music. They got everybody hooked on iTunes as a great way to play music. Then they came out with a device that integrates with it seamlessly, and you're like, holy cow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the iTunes store was just a natural follow-on to that. And so there's this, you know, the ecosystem is just such a different thing, whereas Microsoft now has to teach people, right? There's not been a compelling natural Adoption of a Windows Store. I mean, I never even heard of it till today. Yeah, well, it kind of makes me think of the uh, some of the the stuff you've brought up in the past about mobile research that's been done, uh, statistics and things like that. People who have an iOS device end up spending what was it like five times more mm-hmm. per year on apps mm-hmm. than people who have like an Android, Android or a Windows mobile device. And I, I would assume that some of that transfers over to Windows versus Mac. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have a Windows computer, so <laughs> kind of. I don't know. We'd be curious to see how Microsoft might market this, you know, because they're going to have to market it to be effective, unless it's self-discoverable in some amazing way, which maybe it will be. I don't know. Hmm. I think the UI will probably be really key to that success. I mean, as it is in most things, but it seems like Apple users are are just fine with doing things the Apple way. But with Microsoft, you know, there's always been all these different things that you can run on, on you know, on the PC, and they might not be as interested in learning how to do buying apps the Microsoft way. And, and, and uh, that's a really good way to put it, because there really isn't a Microsoft way. Yeah. I mean, right. they, the way they kind of set it up is here's a box, and you can put stuff in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And Apple's like, here's the box, and I'm going to show you exactly where stuff goes, and it's a different <laughs> shape than your other box. Yeah, you know, right. have many choices. And yeah. This is what you'll probably buy. <laughs> so a few other features that come with it are, uh, are integrated. So Windows 8 devices that are equipped with NFC capability, as we've just been talking about, will be able to use a tap-to-share feature uh, to send content from one device to another. So there's your two-way NFC capability. Right. So it's being built into Windows 8. Uh, which is awesome. So you could theoretically transfer photos or a file just by tapping, you know, my Windows Phone set, Windows Phone Eight to a uh, you know a tablet running Windows Eight or something like that. Um, so interesting. Um, built-in antivirus software is planned for Windows Eight. Um, I think we've already mentioned there's just one version for all 
form factors. Okay, so you've said that. Let me make sure I understand that. Okay, there's actually like one version of the software period i'm sure not right i mean okay. even even with windows 7 they've got like three or four versions i think for just for the desktop right they've got so windows well, 7 I'm, home windows I mean 7 is, pro windows 7 pro ultra or i don't know i could Ultimate, theoretically ultimate. run like adobe illustrator on my phone i don't i suspect not so i okay I don't know how this is all going to work. I mean, or will there be like little tiny, burger. like if I switch to went to desktop mode on my phone or my i on my not my iPad, <laughs> on my <laughs> Windows mobile tablet computer? Um, am I going to have little windows? I think that'll be possible. Huh. I mean, so I mean, my understanding really is that both kind of both versions are going to be in every ver- you know. Both both views will be in every version. But for example, we just got a little netbook computer for mm-hmm. heading over to Europe, so it's super cheap. And but we can back up photos onto on a nice right. hard drive, so we just have some backup. Um, Two hundred bucks. It's running Windows Seven, and I forget the version, but it's like the most simplified, stripped down version of Windows Seven. But it's still Windows Seven, right? So right. it's essentially a tablet with a keyboard. I mean, that's right. how basic it is, right? But it's running Windows 7, so I'd imagine if that device was running Windows 8, it might make sense to... It's a very small screen, so it might make sense to switch between these two views, the Metro view and the, the desktop view. Um, so I could see where they're coming from, but but that's a different version of Windows, right? It's very lightweight. It's missing lots of the features yeah. that even the home version has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I imagine they're going to head down a road like that so that your Windows Phone 8 device will run this lightweight version, and you could switch to a desktop view, and actually see a file structure and things like that. Mm. But I'm making all that up. (laughs) 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 Who knows? Uh, Beta is available, so you can download this. Uh, And the other thing that is exciting to me is Windows 8 is um, built to drastically reduce boot time, and there's a video out there that that shows how quickly it can theoretically boot. Um, That's one of the things I love about Apple, Macintosh, iOS, or uh, I should say Mac OS versus Windows is how quickly Macintoshes boot comparatively. Oh, similar hardware. So that would be um, a big differentiator, I think. I mean, I think that's, I don't know. It's one of my wife's biggest complaints about the desktop at home. It's a really old Windows machine, and it takes forever to boot up. It takes forever <laughs> to do anything. But it's an old processor, you know. But it's still, it takes forever. It's, it's so frustrating. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the Windows things, eight things shakes out. Well, definitely. Time will tell, but exciting. I mean, it's really, you know, it's exciting. All these innovations, I think, are just heading us toward this more touch interface, mobile environment, you know, or seamless environment between. Maybe that's one of the things I find exciting about it is that it's um, starting to break the boundaries between currently we might think of separate things, mobile versus desktop, right? And it's it's starting to change that paradigm Mm -hmm. of, you're just using an electronic device, and there's different ways to interact with things. Yeah. Hence the immediacy and the, the need to have a, a quick startup time. Right. You know, how long do you usually wait for your phone? You don't at all. Right. Long, so why should yeah. you wait for your desktop? That's a great point. Yeah, my, like, my iPad, like, it's on. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Cool. It's a slightly funny iPad, funny to me, iPad story where uh, I sl- with one of my flying colleagues, he uh, handed me back my iPad and I hit the square button, the home button, and, and it's dark. I'm like, 
what did you do to my iPad? <laughs> it's broken. He's like, I turned it off. I'm like, why would you do that? I'm like, you mean cool. you powered it down? <laughs> why did you do that? <laughs> What's the point? Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's not correct etiquette. Windows user. <laughs> yeah, I think the only time my iPad gets powered down is when my kids play with it too long and don't plug it in. Uh, it, it shuts off dies. by itself. Yeah. Right, right, right. And in fairness to Windows users, I, you know, I, I do use Windows machines as well, and I just use Hibernate or Sleep, whichever is appropriate for the fast, yeah. fast startup, and that's a very nice experience, actually. Cool. Works quite well. Well, let's move on to our feature. Um, so Daniel yeah. is our feature. Daniel is our feature. Interviewing uh, Daniel. Yeah. Exactly. Dance. So, so <laughs> <laughs> sweet. I'm dancing right now. Too bad it's not a video podcast. <laughs> He's dancing very well. <laughs> or not. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit more. Uh, so you, you flex development, data visualization, energy stuff for building. So that's kind of your day job, if you will. So tell us how simple diagrams fits into that and tell us what simple diagrams is sure so um although i'm a flex developer i've also done um, some user experience design and some uh, user interface design um, in the past and um one of the things that that i usually did in, in those kind of situations is a lot of sketches you know that i always found that to be mm-hmm. the quickest yeah. thing to get a communicated idea and you know not burn time doing um, pretty documents and um once i got more into flex development and that kind of stuck in the back of my mind and I was talking to my brother, who at the time um, was the UX lead at Credit Suisse. And he was saying how his team did what they called power diagrams. So he was very focused on doing whiteboard-style diagrams very quick and then taking a photo and capturing it. But they had a whole visual language for what different things were. So a lightning bolt was a pain point for a customer. And you know they had this kind of, uh, again, a visual language to describe stuff so that they kind of, amongst the team, knew what the diagram meant. And it had more meaning than just what you'd think when you first looked at it. So I started thinking, well... If you could actually attach um, some maybe semantic data to that, or at least just capture it in digital form, so you're not just passing images around, you know, would that be interesting? He's like, oh yeah, sure. So I kind of made a real quick kind of um, not a whiteboard, but more of a chalkboard um, with just some drag and resizing functionality and right. to them. And they started using it and really liked it. And so I thought, okay, well maybe there's something here. So I uh, this is and this is more uh, kind of a, a fool developing rather than some kind of very methodical process i built it for about a month more and said well maybe i'll try to sell it you know it still had bugs in it and what it wasn't that great. yeah and I, I put it up and i was actually not only surprised but very frightened the next day when i got eight orders I, I, honestly like oh my god what have i done you know? and i then i expected a ton of uh negative emails which i um you know i think i mentioned to uh, you before Rob, yeah when we yeah. spoke about this earlier is that's one of the other things that you think when you develop something is everybody's going to hate it. Right. Not only would they hate it, they'll hate about you. Everything. Yeah. They'll hate you and they're going to send you lots of emails about why you're so bad and don't even deserve to live. And, uh, and the funny thing was, I never got those either. Even with the first versions of this program, um, I think I got maybe one or two emails that were slightly negative, um, a lot of positive emails, and most of them saying, hey, why does it do this? Or, hey, maybe you should fix this because I can't use it when it breaks like this. Um, so that's the long and short of it. But I mostly think positive feedback mostly positive, right out of the box. Right out of the box. And you even is, sold a few subscriptions yeah, yeah, right away. Right away. Had people sign up for it. Yeah. So, so, um, so, so it's for simple sketching. Um, and can you draw by hand as well as – I know you can drag in like diagrams and icons and you know, preformed 
Graphics. Symbols. Symbols. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Can you also hand draw? You can hand draw. Them? That's one of the many limitations of the program is that you can't do it with different line styles. Or I'd love to be able to do a chalk stroke or a brush stroke. And I'm trying to figure out now how to do that within the confines of Flex. Um, but you can draw. You can uh, drag out symbols, include images, that kind of thing. But if you were to stack this against other applications in terms of um, functionality, it's you know not that great. I mean, it's a definite subsection of what you'd get if you use something like uh, Visio or sure. But isn't that kind of the appeal? Part of the appeal that you have a free version that has a lot of features. Um, I mean, hard to complain about free. Mm-hmm. And then even your full paid versions, what twenty bucks, nineteen bucks yeah, or so? Yeah, right now it's twenty five. Yeah. Okay, twenty five dollars. Yeah. yeah, so very affordable for. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for something that lets you quickly put together sketches and and save them as graphics, right? Yeah. Save them as PNGs. I think the person who judges your application most on its functionality is you, the developer. I think a lot of times people... I think we're hearing that. It, <laughs> yeah. It's often if somebody likes the style and they think it's going to do what they want, they don't care if another application they don't know about does it you know, with 10 times more features. Right. You can see what they want and how to do it right. with the application. And that's well, what and there's a lot of advantage, I think, right, to simplified applications that do have a limited set of features because then you can learn them quickly and use them quickly. Um, and so if, if that meets the need, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm super excited. I haven't actually uh, tried the app yet, but I've read, you know, I've read the whole website and I've uh, done some searching on reviews about the product and I'm just super impressed. I mean, there's a bunch of blogs that talk about it. There's some guy that I guess apparently normally does scripted video podcasts and he was so excited. He, he just made a video <laughs> podcast that this isn't even scripted. Yeah. I'm just so excited Tom about Coleman. this. Yeah. yeah. yeah he Here's spiked traffic works. that day. He really <laughs> spiked traffic on that day, the day he released that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. He gave a, he gave a really nice that? demo. Tom Kuhlman of Articulate, which is a big e-learning company, and he actually sat down and did five screencasts of tutorials, which put me to shame because I don't have any tutorials. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's actually one piece of negative information I got from a user. I can't believe you rely on somebody else to do your tutorials. <laughs> but that's in a way, it's the beauty of the community. The community yeah, yeah. has embraced that enough that they are making the tutorials for you. I, I would call that a success. Yeah. Um, and I think they're really well done. And, uh, I include them on the website, so... Yeah, I was happy. But yeah, when he did that, um, I guess he's got a very big following in the e-learning community, um, which is a group that seems to really like this application. Uh, And that just spiked traffic that day. Um, I was selling uh, licenses like every 15 minutes or so. Wow. Um, So that was really nice to to see that sort of come in. That's awesome. I think it was probably about 1,700 in one day that came in from that. Nice. (laughs) Wow. I want him obviously to write it again, you know. Right. <laughs> keep doing this. Yeah. Keep doing this. Um, yeah, so I, tell- I got. Well, I was just going to say I got. I used it today, so I downloaded the the free version, etc. And I love it. Oh, and I was wow. I was really impressed because I I I am I you know doing UX if I do the sketching thing all the time, and what I liked most about it is I I recently well about a year ago I read this book called The Back of the Napkin. Oh yeah, Dan Rum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's all about. You know, getting across ideas with simple diagrams. Right. <laughs> yeah. Checks in the mail. Exactly. Keyword placement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's nice to be able to. Uh, it, it's just easy. The way you've set it up is really easy to to build those. Uh, you know, the little sketches or whatever it is, and. I, I can see myself, you know, using it a lot. I'm going to try to talk our UX team into getting it as well because. Yeah, perfect example. Um, before I, well, while I was still doing my own, like on my own freelance thing, I was with a, cl- a potential client 
working on uh, trying to get them to understand what a CMS was, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They had like 300 pages Content of Content management system, if yeah. you need that. They had about 300 pages of uh, static HTML site. And I'm like, Whoa. okay, you know, you can have like a template sort of and everything kind of feeds into it. And they're like, huh? And I explained all this. They just didn't get it. And then, you know, like, them understanding it really like seven thousand dollars for me ran, <laughs> wrote on, it. on them understanding this concept <laughs> and so i said okay well, let me draw it and so i drew drew a, f- a few sketches you know like here's a guy and here's a box you know i said the same exact words but with a with a simple diagram on, on the whiteboard and they're like oh okay <laughs> got it yeah boom yeah. sold and the Absolutely. resolution of those drawings is always so important because if you add too much data, totally. you're trying to sell a product or something, then people immediately focus on, well, why is that shiny? Right. Why is that red with yellow highlights? Why is this thing over here? Yeah, yeah I right. deal that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so one of the lower things. Fide- lower fidelity on purpose has a definite place in the process, mm-hmm. in many processes. So do you like hand sketch all the little things I yourself? did. I hired an artist to do a couple of libraries. Uh, she was really good. I can't remember her name. She's on the, the blog. Um, but she did two or three of the libraries, and then I did the rest. And I just um, – the first couple I just kind of did with the mouse in uh, Flash, develop, uh, or Flash Developer, CS. And now I've got a little uh, tablet, so I use that now to draw. Nice. But, um, yeah, I, I think one of the big problems I've kind of run up against is this is a side job. And so despite all the, the, the feedback and the uh, promotions, I haven't been able to focus enough time on one libraries. Users keep mm. saying, we want more libraries. We want planes. We want trains. We want whatever. And I don't have time to do it. And um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn more about outsourcing and you know, letting go and let somebody else draw the stuff or help program the stuff. Sure. So. Yeah, but I did, to answer your question, I did the first couple libraries. Cool. So, yeah. I wonder if there wouldn't be, you know, interns or something, uh, you know, at CSU or, you know, a local school of some sort that uh, would just be thrilled to create oh, yeah. a library of, yeah. you know, transportation icons. And, yeah, right. and, then, and then there's the, um, the thing we talked about recently, that icon. Uh, oh, the Noun Project. The Noun Project. Are you, do you know about that? No, I don't. Um, yeah. TheNounProject.com. And so they're creating... They're a lot source. higher fidelity than this, but but they're open source. Icons. They're open source icons, so you could at least get an idea of you know hmm. you could <laughs> lay it down and draw over it. <laughs> well, people could just drag those in, right? Because you can drop your own images into oh, that's true. The tool. Yeah. Some libraries, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Could, so that would be you could build a library from that. That could be a good blog post of just how to do that. You know, that could be a source of some of those. I think that that looking forward, one of the keys to success will be keeping a certain visual style, but expanding the amount of libraries that are available. That makes sense. Yeah, and the way to move through it. And I think also to provide some kind of added value to people who are doing UX and that kind of process mapping to allow them to uh, lay on some semantic data but not make it overly heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just enough so you can put some extra information on there. Maybe there's a URL link you know, or mm-hmm. something. Um, but then, again, fight against that kind of force that makes you make your program too complex, especially if you're a developer. That's a hard balance. Yeah. Hard balance was keeping it simple, thus the name, etc., and uh, we having enough that you can really do some cool stuff with it. Mm. Well, I'm I'm just really excited to try it out because like along lines of what Steve is talking about, I think sketching is such a powerful tool. Um, we use that with clients um, periodically, and I would like to use it more. 
And um, this is a great opportunity. And we do we do a lot of remote meet, meetings. And this is an opportunity where you know we do screen sharing sessions in these remote meetings. And here's a drawing tool that's quick. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what appeals. One of the things that appeals to me is you just mm-hmm. drag the graphics in, yeah. the symbols in, and then you can create connectors between them. Um, that's a lot quicker than using some kind of a freeform tool where I'm trying to sketch with a mouse or a trackpad or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really appealing. Yeah. So, what kind of people have you found are using the tool? How, do you know what your you know are UX people using it? Who's using some it? UX people? A lot of e-learning people. Um, a lot of um, by e-learning people. What do you mean? So, people who are into uh, organizational um, education style um, programs. Uh, some people who are actually in primary school are very big on it. Huh. Uh, their kids are actually using it. There was one woman who wanted really? to buy a site license for her library or something because hmm. she said the, the kids like to use it. Um, so those two groups seem to be big. Outside of that, I don't know. And this, again, is my, um, my lack of time to do a lot of uh, investigation because that, that kind of thing should inform me as far as where I would market. You know, sure. Maybe I should make it more of an e-learning um, professional's application rather than for anybody. But to answer your question, is those two groups seem to be very big, UX and then um, uh, the e-learning crowd. Cool. I've got some numbers if you think your users yeah, would. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious. You know, so maybe turn a little bit more toward the business side of it as well, because that's of extreme interest to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always interested in the business of apps and web apps and desktop apps and all of that. So, yeah, uh, what do you have to get us started here? So, um, I'm using analytics as a lot of you know uh, site developers and, and app developers are, and uh, what they're telling me so far is since I released it, which I think it's about two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, I've had 106,000 visitors. Um, and out of those visitors, uh, 1,900 people have actually bought licenses. So, the, and that price was somewhere between 19 and 25. I kind of moved the price up slowly mm-hmm. as time went along. Um, so that's about 1.7 percent conversion. Which I guess if you go by, um, it's not it's, bad. It's not bad. It's not great. It's not bad. It's kind of average, right? Yeah, Maybe a little bit above average. What's kind of cool though is. Uh, 38,000 people actually installed the program. One of the really nice things about Air, there's some a lot of drawbacks to it actually, but you can do the badge with the instant install, and that most people were able to do that. Um, sometimes for some configurations it doesn't work. Of the 38,000 um, people who installed it, um, again, uh, 1,900 people bought it, so that's a 5% conversion. That's pretty good. It. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, and then again, so I, I can't remember what the math comes out to, but... Um, Essentially, there's 1,900 licenses times anywhere between 19 and 25 dollars. Yeah, that's not bad for yeah. a couple of years of something on the side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm thinking if I can put more time into it, hopefully those numbers can can go up. Um, Definitely. But, uh, but yeah, so how much how much time do you find you know supporting this as far as like answering emails or help you know especially help questions or bug fixes? How yeah. much time do you spend on all that? Surprising little, little to the point where I'm wondering if maybe the emails are going to the wrong. because very few people email to ask questions um i've gotten maybe five to ten nasty emails somebody in one country that speaks spanish was insulted because it wasn't even me it's actually fastspring the company i use to clear payments automatically put the web page to buy it in spanish and they thought that was quote-unquote racist what yeah i still don't understand you're in mexico yeah and the thing is you can change the the language on the site anyways. But there was a very long and detailed email about why that was racist and why he's going to tell everybody in the world how bad he's <laughs> so That could have affected my numbers too. I don't know. Uh, I could be rich by now. You never know. I hope not. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that's uh, most so, of the so, so not much time on support then, really. No. Well, say so that that's good. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's kind of amazing. It's it's good, but however, if you ascribe to the lean startup methodology, one of their big things is well, one is use free and open software, uh, open source software. One is to follow the agile method of development, right. which has its own stipulations. And their third is customer-centric rapid iteration to the point where you're almost releasing not only every week, but almost every day you're doing you know, iterations and that kind of stuff. I'm not that sold on that because that could irritate people beyond words if they're always sure. doing an update, you know, because right. telling them to update. Yeah, especially with Air where you do have to, it's a... Yeah, there's prompts a little, a little says, exactly. You get yeah. the prompt, yeah. But when you get a lot of customer feedback, you're, you're kind of thrown into that customer contact. And that's the one thing they say is really important for helping you decide what's essential and what's not. Mm-hmm. Which so it sounds you know, like you wish you had a little more customer contact from that perspective. I do. People saying, you know, I've told you three times, I'll tell you again, this has to do this. Or why doesn't it do X, Y, Z? I kind of get a mention or two and then, you know, hmm. nothing again. And uh, So all of you Simple Diagrams users out there, email Daniel. He wants yeah. to know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Worse, what's right? working? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would have a hard time. It's a hard once again. It's a hard balance because if you don't get any emails with like feature requests, then you're good to go <laughs> on one hand. But I, I totally hear, see what you're saying. If you feel like, what am I missing? You know, yeah. What's, the emails I have gotten with feature requests have usually been pretty good. Like, oh, I didn't think of that, or oh, that's a convention everybody knows about except me. That you should be able right. to shift, drag, and copy the symbol mm. because every other program doesn't. And why don't you? I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll do it. Mm. Um, so in that way, it's it's nice to get that kind of feedback. It's almost like your private research team kind of giving yeah. you some feedback, right? Who are paying you money to use the product? That's yeah, right. even better. Yeah. <laughs> and some users have been great. They like send long things about all these things you can do in a positive way, and you know. Do you prompt people to give you feedback in, in the app? Um, no, I don't, and I should. Yeah, um, I'm trying to change that now. I'm trying to make it more of a high touch um, program, um, but I don't yet. Yeah, that would be that's a great idea, yeah. Steve. I'm full Thanks of them. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> full of them. Hey. Um, so on the business side of things, so it sounds like you've taken the free approach and then an upgrade to pro. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, if you were to do this all over again from yeah. the start, would you start charging like only charging, or would you do the same thing? Or because yeah. there's kind of several different models for application sales, yeah. right? I mean, the other way is just to charge from the beginning and there is no free version. I'm really struggling with that right now. Um, as you probably know, 37 Signals is big on the don't give away things free. It's one approach, yeah. Yeah, and one of the blogs I'm going to mention later in the day, um, Rob Walling, who's a big kind of guru for people who are independent developers, says the same thing. You can't do it for free because it won't work. And looking at my numbers, uh, it's been nice, but I'm realizing I can't do it for free because if I want to make this a really good program and really put time into it, I have to sell more than what I'm selling. Right. And for some reason, it's not selling enough with the free versus full version. Um, 38,000 users, but I can only get you know 1,900 of them to buy. Right. Um, so again, some people might think that's a good ratio, and it probably is. You know, but for me, in order to keep developing it, it's not enough. Right. Um, so I'm trying to decide uh, whether to go to a different model, maybe a 30 day trial or, or you know something else. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll stick with the free versus full. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's always uh, you know in any business, right? It's easier to convert people who are already clients than to get new ones. So it sounds like there might be some opportunities there to get a higher percentage of current users to to pay for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I want to be very graceful about that. Um, yeah. I want to make absolutely. sure that. 
users who have a free version, if I were ever to switch the 30-day, they can continue to use the current version. It doesn't force them into the new version and they lose their mm-hmm. database or whatever. And you could do so. something, you know, since they're not paying now, I mean, you could do some kind of special of, you know, it's half price for people that already have it, yeah, right. you know, or something That's something along those lines because that would be pretty attractive. Like, wow, I can get this for 12 bucks instead of 25 I mean, you know, it's, it's a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> it's $12 and it's one time, right? I mean... Because then you get upgrades over time, I presume. Yeah, I didn't look at your. Yeah, it's definitely. Scheme. Yeah, yeah. Um, and That's amazing. I've, I've never done this before for one product, but I have a feeling that it's very easy to lose a very positive feeling to go to something very negative, and I really don't want to do that. Sure. Yeah, well, I, mean, I risk some of it, but. And that's an interesting point because, like, uh, I think one of the biggest examples that I can think of on that was Meetup.com. So Meetup has been around for years, right? yeah. five years, four years, and they were totally free for this first several years, totally free. And then they switched big jump to twenty bucks a month, yeah, like overnight, know, just boom, overnight. And they gave you they gave you maybe a thirty day or sixty day window. I forget to you know. They were closing. They would close down the groups that weren't going to pay, um, but it was a hardcore you know, transition. And I don't know what percentage of groups they lost. I'm sure they lost a bunch, but they kept making a lot more money. (laughs) Yeah. And they, and they kept a lot of groups and it is still a thriving and growing Mm -hmm. universe out there. And now everybody's like, it just costs money. And so they pay the money and And now they have the funding to improve the the site. Exactly. And And they have, and and they finally have been run rolling out and Changes. I hesitate to call them all improvements, but, <laughs> but they have all that changes. Um, presumably, that funding is covering some of that. Yeah, right. Um, so interesting. Um, let's see. So you had mentioned this lean startup. Um, and just from exploring some links that you shared with me, I've kind of this is like a whole world I didn't even know existed out there. So, can you say yeah. a little bit about what yeah. what is a lean? What's the lean startup movement? What is that? Right. So, I mean, I can't speak to it too well just because I'm kind of learning about it myself. But I come at this from the perspective of somebody who can more or less um, reasonably well do development and do the UI. And try to tackle things like sales and uh, marketing. They're kind of a one-man so, company. Yeah, but very much a generalist, and so mm-hmm. you know, trying trying to do, ju- do it just well enough to be able to make it all work together. And so then the task becomes: Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to manage your time? How are you going to do outsourcing? What's important? What's not? Because you know, there's only so many hours in the day, and development takes a lot of time by itself. So I started trying to figure out: Okay, well, how are the other guys doing this? And, um, there's uh, one guy named Rob Walling who's very um, big in this space, and he does a uh, site called Rob Walling. I've, I've got it. Uh, Suffer by Rob, I think, is his site. And um, that, his his term for the uh, this kind of way of working is called micropreneur, where you've decided you're not going to hire <laughs> people, and you're going to try to figure out how to do everything well enough to put something out there and make it work. Um, and he kind of puts a lot of links, and I've found from other people, um, to this guy, Eric Reese, who's the, the lean startup guy. And he has a kind of more expansive, more in-depth idea about what a lean startup is. And, and it's not just a micropreneur. It could be a 5 to 10 or maybe 15-person firm. Um, but again, I mentioned this, I think, earlier in the podcast. His big three things, Eric Reese, for a lean startup is that you use free and open-source software. Um, you follow the agile principles of software development, which if your listeners aren't aware of that is a very specific way you go about developing software very different from the old big documents and, and waterfall procedures of you know years past and then the third and this is really kind of big i think in their world in the lean startup world is 
uh, customer-centric rapid iteration. So you're constantly asking your customers what's, what's the bare minimum that you want in this application that makes it valuable to you. And then you keep doing that as you grow the application. Hmm. So it's constant, you know, um, putting things out and finding out how it works and bringing it back and adding more things um, with a lot of inquiries to the customer about how to go and what more do you want. Um, so that's what I know about Lean Startup. I think there's a lot more to it. Um, and I think people who go into this space can get swamped with how much is there. Mm-hmm. So in my case, I'm, I'm glad that I, I didn't wait to learn this stuff before doing something, <laughs> um, you know, because it can just overwhelm you. Yeah. Um, but so if you had, um, now knowing what you know now, being a couple of years into this process, um, you know, if there are others out there who are planning to start, um, you know, some kind of a, an application or, you know, this type of thing, um, what advice would you give yourself, you know, mm-hmm. if you were uh, back at day one, mm-hmm. knowing what you know now? Yeah. Um, two things, actually. One is, and this is something that Rob Walling kind of focuses on a lot, when you do this kind of thing coming at it from a developer's perspective, you're going to think that more features means more sales. And he, is, uh, he really stresses that is definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. Marketing mm-hmm. comes first. And actually, I had an interesting episode because somebody in New Zealand was doing a package of software for um, World UX Day or something like that. And he contacted me and he said, we're considering maybe talking to you about including this in the software uh, or in the software package that's going to go out to all these you know, um, thousands of people. And I was a little taken aback. And I said, essentially, well, I don't know if my program's ready for that. It's still a little bit buggy and blah, blah, blah. And he sent me back an email, and, and it, was, it wasn't sharp. It was actually kind of a good, you know, kendo smack in the <laughs> shoulder or whatever. He said, essentially, I have met developers before who do the same thing. They say, my program is buggy but good enough to sell to a few people, but it's not good enough to sell to a whole bunch of people. And I still to this day don't get that logic. And he kind of left <laughs> it at that. question. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I think knowing <laughs> what I know now, I would have just said, okay, fine, let's do it. Include it in the, in the package. Uh, so I think maybe having confidence in what you're doing, even if you know as the developer the ugly uh, side of it. Right. Um, And and also another thing would be getting help. Um, Right now I'm working with a Russian developer, Alexei Shmatov, um, who if you're on Odesk, I highly recommend because he's fantastic. Uh, He's helping me do some of the more complex stuff like the connector lines, which actually is not trivial um, Mm -hmm. in the app. I would have, uh, I should have looked for somebody like him um, way before. Um, because you just don't have time when you're trying to do these other things. If you believe marketing is so important, you don't have time you to can't keep do coding. It all. So yeah, yeah, you have to share the load somehow. Yeah, and as a coder, you're like, oh, today I'm going to add this feature, and you spend six hours doing that, and then you're too tired to do anything else, and that just <laughs> doesn't work. You know, so I would have gotten help earlier. I think you know, even just a little bit. Can you do this small feature or this plugin? That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah that's good advice. Because especially if you're, if you're going down the road of the micropreneur thing, I totally get that and I like that. But you can get so focused on I'm doing it myself. That you don't see what what's available and what other options there might be to help you do that yourself. You yeah. know, yeah. you don't have to hire up somebody full time, but right, yeah. you really do need to outsource everything that you can if you've got a little bit of cash. And I guess you have to be creative about how much you can spend. Um, um, but I think if you want to get that momentum, I think that's really important. And that's one of the things I think I've done wrong is that I think I had a lot more momentum before, and if I had barreled forward and tried to get things done quicker by using other people, I might have gotten farther. But you know who knows? Um, it's still going strong, so that's awesome. And no complaints. Yeah. That's awesome. 
That's really neat. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, and you said you just just moved into town. Yeah. Yep. Just came from Santa Cruz, California, to Fort Collins. Wow. But don't tell anybody. One beautiful place to. There's like too many place. Californians here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm from Pennsylvania. Does that give me? That, that takes the curse off it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I just moved into town with my wife and my little 13 month old. Awesome. Yeah. Well, welcome. We're Thanks. really glad to have you here in Fort Collins. Yeah, Fort Collins is a great place. A really vibrant IT community. And yeah, really, really good. Yeah, we sure love it. Yeah, I like that a lot. And love we're, we're glad you're here. And yeah. Did you have anything else? No, unless there's anything else that you wanted to share, if you had anything else you want to talk about, uh, Daniel, relative to your, your project. And yeah, all I think that. that's good. I think okay. um, Super. just I, my one recommendation is if you are thinking of doing something like this, do it. You know, And no matter how ugly it is, just release it um, because I think that'll keep you going. I find that just fascinating that. Uh, you know that's hard for me to get my head around. Of, of even if it has bugs, just release it because that that goes so contrary to you know since we're it's in client perfect. services yeah. and client services is a different business. So I have to get my head around that that that's yeah. different. You know, client expects things a certain way, essentially perfect in their mind, yeah. in their mind, are perfect. Yeah. But this is different. You yeah. know, so you yeah. launch stuff, buggy is okay, yeah. and people. You know, I guess my fear is that, that if it's too buggy, then people might go away and yes. never come back. No, definitely prioritize what you think has to work and what you think is something that's either cosmetic or not as crucial. Yeah, um, you have to obviously you have to impress. It has to be people, working. Yeah, yeah. have to like it. It has to be like this is fun to use. Oh darn, that doesn't work. If I shift drag, but that's okay. You know, right. I'll wait to the next version. Um, yeah. Cool. Very cool. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for Thanks sharing for all me. that and. Um, we're glad that you're here. It's wonderful to have. Everybody needs to go buy a copy of it. Simplediagrams.com. It just looks so impressive to me. So spread the word. Well, our uh, podcast sponsor, as usual, is audible.com. And uh, I absolutely love Audible, have for many, many years. And the, I wanted to, uh, the book that I had read a long time ago, I went into my audio library today and Went back to the beginning uh, to 243 items ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and yeah, and this book me. called The Stuff of Thought is what I wanted to recommend everybody today. Um, and it's by Steven Pinker. And oh, it's, it's about well, – let me, let me pull up the, the synopsis of it. I should have done this earlier. Yeah, well, while you're pulling that up, yeah, he's pretty interesting. I've got a book of his at home. I'm trying to remember the title of it now. But he's like a psychologist – uh, that's not the right word. I mean, he's well, a he, he's boring. a writer for he's a science writer, right? Science writer mm-hmm. for something something times. But he talks a lot time. about the mind and times. that kind yeah. of thing, right? And the stuff of thought is um, the, the subtitle is "Language as a Window into Human Nature." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I got this actually when I was living in Germany because you know living in another language, all you know speaking another language all the time, and you start really I start really thinking about how. Culture and thought is tied up in language, you know, because German is a very structured language. You say all the letters and et cetera, et cetera, and the German people are generally very structured. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I I make all these the make up these things in my head. But then I read this book, and there's a lot to that hmm. about how how language influences our thought processes and actually the. The sign, like the neurochemistry and the pathways in the brain, are affected by your language. And the 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 uh, example that sticks out to me to this day, I've, I may have mentioned this already to you that there's a 
there's always some tribe someplace, right, that does something funky. Well, there's a tribe down in, in uh, Mexico, in the, in the mountains of Mexico, that they don't have, in their dialect, they don't have a word for uh, left and right. They don't have directions at all. Wow. How does Everything is in relation to the volcano. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so, you know, can you, can you stand uh, toward the volcano of her? You know, or wow. and where is that? Oh, it's the uh, away from the volcano from the chair. Wow! And if you turn around, you know, wow. it's so still it's away relative, from the volcano. But it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not right and left of. Wow. And and they also. Um, That's cool. The same tribe has has they they don't count past. I think it's three. They have zero, one, two, three, and everything is a multiple of that. It's like three threes or something. Three threes mm. and one, <laughs> you know, and so. The, but he talks about how that affects their thought process and mm-hmm. the way they, the way their structure, their their tribe is, and mm-hmm. and how swearing uh, affects your your mood and why people swear and cuss and things like that, and where that lives in your brain. Anyway, all kinds of really neat stuff. So mm. it's 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 well well read. Um, it's about nine and a half hours long. I would really recommend that. So if if you have not signed up for Audible yet, I totally obviously recommend going to uh, audibletrial.com slash Einstein. And if you do that, you get a free uh, book, and you could download this one or one of the other ones that they have. And you also get a 14-day trial to check out. And with the 14-day trial, you get discounts on their other books, et cetera. So if you go to that audibletrial.com slash Einstein, we get a little bit of a kickback for that. So So do that. So do that, yeah. (laughs) Do not go to audible.com. That's right. audibletrial.com slash Einstein. Yeah. So onto our block picks. Um, actually, Daniel, why don't we start with you? And I think you've got a couple for us. Yeah, the first one I mentioned it earlier is softwarebyrob.com, and that's uh, Rob Walling, and he is a developer uh, and now a, a micropreneur. And he also has, a, I think, a micropreneur academy, which I'm not promoting. I just know that he does as a way of training people to become more micropreneurs. But anyways, his blog is, is, um, is full of a lot of good articles. Um, and then the other thing I, I read consistently is the Hacker News, uh, which is at news.ycombinator.com. And I just find that the quality of the stories you get there, if you're a developer, I think is really high. A lot of you can kind of stay on top of what's happening in multiple uh, areas of the IT space. Awesome. All kinds of development? or well, Not just developer articles, but a lot of, uh, I guess, the stuff you might have seen on Slashdot back when Slashdot oh, okay. was the big thing. You yeah, know, was, yeah. uh, very, they're very uh, appropriate now. Like uh, Node.js, is that the new thing everybody's using? Or, or um, why is, is Scala not as good as Clojure? And here's one guy's opinion why. And that kind of thing. And, and just the comments on those articles also seem to be really high quality. Huh. So you can learn a lot about uh, a certain area really quickly, at least at a, a high level. Yeah. Cool. Well, the blog I wanted to recommend is actually a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is, the, is it ours? <laughs> well, of course, Ron. No, it's uh, actually it's a pro- podcast by Mer- with Merlin Mann. It's called Back to Work, and it's at 5by5.tv slash B2W. Oh, I heard of this one. I, I do listen to uh, The Big Web Show, which is a 5 by 5 production right. with Zeldman. And I know they have a ton of others, and I still haven't checked any of the others out. And this is one of the ones I have heard of recently. Every single time I go back to 5 by 5 I got super excited about this one. Yeah, it's, they're on like episode 32. Oh, so pretty early on. And la- last week I went and I, I, 
I found out because I've always liked Merlin Mann's stuff. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's really funny and has a lot of really actually good stuff to say. And so the this pod this podcast is actually his podcast. He does it with Daniel Dan, Dan Benjamin. Dan, Dan Benjamin. Yeah. Dan mm-hmm. Benjamin. And um, it's kind of funny because Dan Benjamin's kind of the straight man. Yeah. <laughs> to Merlin Mann's kind of ADD everywhere ness. And uh, but they have like I, I think I listened to every single episode last week. It was so good. Wow! And it's it's just the two of them sitting down and chatting whatever about whatever ha- happens to pop into Merlin's brain, uh, which goes it's all the way from email productivity to Buddhism. So wow, oh, it's it's really it really good Sounds stuff. Fun. So I totally recommend that. It's five by five TV slash B two W, or if you just go to five by five TV, you'll find it. And, and the numbers, those are numbers, by the way. Oh, yeah, five every number, five. yeah. Yeah, so the number five by number five dot TV. And B number two W. <laughs> yep. Uh, what, whenever Dan Benjamin talks about their address, he never mentions that on their podcast that the five is the number five. Anyway, I'm sure people figure it out. I wonder if you could but, type, actually, I don't know if you bought the domain. Yeah, that's a good five. question. I'll have to check that out. Uh, so the blog I picked for today was actually one that I uh, stumbled across um, from Daniel because uh, Daniel had recommended the software by Rob, and then I was just reading articles and you know following the uh, the rabbit hole of the web and stumbled across the Business of Software blog, and I have heard of that conference. So this is the blog uh, for the conference, the Business of Software, um, and their byline is the conference for people who care about growing long-term profitable software businesses. Um, so for many of us uh, listeners and many, I guess, for me as a host, uh, since mm-hmm. I run a software company, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, you know, um, building a long-term profitable software business is a pretty high priority. <laughs> so uh, there's lots of uh, really interesting resources here. Um, I, I found, at least at first glance, that the articles are maybe about half about the conference, which weren't quite so interesting to me, and then half about really useful stuff about the business of software. So you do have to do a little bit of sifting. And the, uh, the user experience needs just a little bit of work, so there might be some uh, opportunity there for uh, somebody <laughs> out there in the listener land who's a user experience freelancer. But um, th- they have some very long blog posts, which are great because they go really in-depth, but they don't do the uh, snippet read more thing. So if you're trying to get to the next blog post, you have to scroll through like 18 screens. Oh, no. It's like, eh, come on, you can do a little better. But anyway, the content is good, so it's worth scrolling. And um, it's run by Neil Davidson, who's uh, one of the CEOs of Redgate Software and the founder of the Business of Software Conference, and Mark Littlewood, who is the founder of the Business Leaders Network and organizes the the Business of Software Conference. And just as an example, uh, one of their posts, uh, Eric Rice, Rice probably, um, who uh, Daniel mentioned as the uh, proponent of Lean Startups, and he wrote a book called Lean Startups, um, has a talk on there, the Science of Lean Startups, and the video and the full transcript of that talk from the Business of Software Conference in 2010 is right on the blog. So if you're interested in exploring more, that's a, a good starting point um, for finding more about that. One thing that I did want to mention before we we close out is that the GeoCities Zizer. Oh, yeah. I mentioned this before. I wanted to... Let me see if I can... It show I am this to you, Ron, and you can pull it up on the screen there. Okay. Uh, if as as we all I'm sure remember the GeoCities sites. You know, way back when everybody had a GeoCities site for free. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this turns any website into a GeoCities page, <laughs> complete with ugly colors and flashing GIFs and the whole nine yards. Are you chatting it over to me? Or? Yeah, I just did. Hmm. Not working. Well, go go to um, it is uh, wonder tonic dot com slash GeoCities Izer uh, I Z E R. Oh, oh, that's good. Beautiful. And then yes. you just put in in the box there. You just put in like a www.codegeek.net or whatever. I'll put in Einstein and Sockmonkey. Oh, there you go. Yeah, just so quick to type. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's nice, and and there are multiple variations of that. <laughs> that, that awesome. background uh, tile is just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. The elegance <laughs> is astounding. The spinning you know, computer. <laughs> that is brilliant. Oh, and brilliant. I love the uh, bright green backgrounds with uh, white text. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And yeah. the Bill Gates. Oh, and there's music playing now. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, so it, that, that's a fun thing to play with. Definitely. You, you know, if you, if you have clients... You say at least it's not this, right? You know? Exactly. Or you could. <laughs> this you is could, before. Say, here's, our, here's here's our first iteration of the design <laughs> for you. What do you think? <laughs> the scary yeah. thing would be if they liked it. Oh, I know. <laughs> that could I be know. really bad. Oh, that's really bad. Some eight bit music too. Hand <laughs> boots. What is that? Oh, that was a great eight bit music though. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you for that. Steve. Yeah, sure. That was, sure. That was a great treat. That's my pick of the week. <laughs> Make sure you put the link to that in the notes there. I will, yeah. Uh, so in closing, please visit our website at EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. Uh, leave comments there. Let us know what you want to hear about and all that kind of thing. Um, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and there's a link directly from the website, so you can do that super easy. And uh, the, our main request is please rate us on iTunes. That is the best way to help other people find out about our podcast. And you can find me, Ron Zazadinsky, on Twitter at Ron underscore Z and on the web at codegeek.net. And, and my Twitter handle is clevercubed and my website is clevercubed.com. And uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, at Simple Diagrams and the website is simplediagrams.com. Awesome. Well, Daniel, thanks again so much yeah, for joining nice us. It was me. wonderful really having you on board. And uh, to everyone, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you post Europe. Post Europe. <laughs> yes, it'll be it'll be a few weeks before. It'll be know. a few weeks. That's right. I'll be gone for three, so we'll record. Well, we'll be thinking about you. Uh, good. <laughs> I probably won't be. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to say it. It's fine. I'll be thinking about very large statues and marble and wonderful paintings and great food and wines. So. Uh, I will too. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. All right. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Einstein and Sock Monkey is sponsored by CodeGeek.net, a full-service web design and development agency, and CleverCubed.com, providing user experience design, usability testing, and information architecture, and presented by Ron Zazadinsky and Steve Martin. Music provided by the band Black Lab. Find them at BlackLabWorld.com.